Love. What is love? Love is defined in the dictionary as an intense feeling of deep affection or a deep romantic or sexual attachment to someone. In fact, this is the kind of love that we hear and see in Hollywood movies and music of today, which rarely portrays the type of love that we actually need. However, everyone wants love and everyone seeks it, but few ever achieve it. That's because worldly love tends to be directed towards creation rather than the creator. Worldly love is focused on the temporal and to oneself, often to the exclusion of God and others. But biblical godly love, agape, is a stark contrast to the love of the world. It's unconditional love. It's more than just a feeling or emotion. God's Word says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. God loved us even when we were undeserving of His love and salvation from sin and death. And just as Jesus Christ demonstrated His love for us, we too need to show in action our love for God and one another. The Bible says, Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. But how do we express love and action towards God and others? Let's find out as we join Pastor Harlan Purdy for today's teaching in this week's City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week. Will you stand with me just for a moment as we look to the Lord? Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for your bounty and your provision. You have made us stewards over all that you put into our care. And in acknowledgement of that, we bring the tithe and the offerings into the house of the Lord, that the kingdom of God might be published and proclaimed here in Malawi and around the world. We ask, O God, that you would give us abundance of opportunity to share the truth of your kingdom and to invite men and women, young people, children into that kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Before you're seated, let's read from the scriptures this morning. I want to read from the gospel of Mark chapter 12, going to begin to read uh, at verse number 26. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, 
No one dared ask him any more questions. May the Lord bless his word to us today in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Love. It's a little word, but boy, does it ever garner a lot of attention. How many songs around the globe have been written about love? Multitude. There's an entire genre of movies called love stories. A genre of literature. A genre of poetry. Love poems. Roses are red. But how well do we understand what love really is? How well do we understand what love expects? Love God. Love neighbor. We all know that. We all hear that. We, we would all say amen to that. But what then does, does that say to us? How, how do I put love for God, love for neighbor, into action? Well, I thought I would read you a poem this morning by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who, who talks about love. And she, she ans- answers the question by asking the question, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight. For the ends of being and ideal grace, I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. Love. It's a wonderful poem. I had to learn it in school. Did you? Any of you ever have to? Any of you have to memorize some of Elizabeth's poetry? How many of you had to memorize poetry when you were in school? Just a few of you. Just us who are young. The older ones didn't do that. Okay. So we, well, I had to remember. Memorize and, and I still every once in a while will remember some of those old things that I put to memory and this poem was one of those things but I decided I would read it and not recite it for safety's sake. Love. Titled today's message, Love in Action. And you will be perhaps a little bit surprised about the content of the message. Because there's something that's missing in Elizabeth's poem. There's something that's missing in 
most, if not all, of the songs. There's something missing in many of the stories and literature and all of that around love as an important aspect of love in action. Because we need to always remember that that love is first and foremost an action and not a feeling. Love is really not so much how I feel towards you as it is how I act with regard to you. And as I thought about this through the week, one of the things that that really struck me hard was is that hardly ever is prayer associated with love. But I would suggest to you this morning that prayer is love in action. And I want to talk about that for just a few moments. And I read this text deliberately because of what it says. It says that the greatest thing, the greatest of all of the commandments, in fact, Jesus does tell us that if we can love God the way we should, and if we can love our neighbor the way we should, we will fulfill all of the law of God. We will be a righteous person. We will, we will walk in obedience to the plan and the purposes of God. So how can I love God? How can I love my neighbor? I would suggest to you that one of the greatest ways that I can do that is in prayer. And I brought one of the things that I have brought back from Israel, my prayer shawl. And in ancient Israel, even today, for, for those who, who are conservative Jews, those who are orthodox, if you see them wearing their cap and they will almost always have a, a black suit jacket, uh, you will notice sometimes these things hanging out underneath of their jacket. And the reason is, is because they're wearing this under the jacket. An orthodox Hebrew always carries their prayer shawl with them. Do you know why? Well, they're, they're praying. They're, they're praying constantly, but that, and that's part of the reason. There's two primary reasons, and, and these are one of them. Do you know what these are? These are the four tassels. And, and they are very specific. They are tied with 637 knots. One knot for each, well, they call them laws, but they're actually rules. And, and the blue to remind them of the royalty of God, the, the lordship of God, that he is king of kings and lord of lords. So this tassel reminds them of the authority of God and the necessity to walk in obedience to God. When David was hiding in in the cave and Saul came in, Saul had his prayer shawl, and, and David cut the corner of his garment and afterwards was stricken with grief and remorse that he would do that. The reason is because he cut this corner off. That corner represented Saul's authority as king, the anointed of Israel, the anointed of God. When, when the Bible talks in the Old Testament about the anointed one, the anointed, it's talking about the king. 
And David was stricken with remorse because by cutting that corner off, it was a symbolized attack on the authority of Saul that was God-given. And so David repented of it. The other reason why they carry this with them all of the time is so they can enter their prayer closet. When the Bible talks about a prayer closet, this is what it's talking about. Putting the prayer shawl over your head and stopping to pray. And if you have your prayer shawl with you, you can do that anywhere, anytime, 24-7. And so they were always carrying their prayer closet with them so that they could pray. Now, we don't wear shawls anymore. Well, ladies do, but they look much different than this. They're a lot prettier than these ones, actually, the shawls that women wear. And we wear shawls for the purpose of warmth, not for prayer. But that's what, that's what this is, and that's what it represented. And it, it, it's significant because it lets us know that in the hearts and the minds of the people of God, in the time of Jesus and before the time of Jesus and even up to the modern day, Prayer was a very and is a very important part of life. Why? Well, because it is a response to the command to love God. Because you see, without communication, relationship is impossible. I have been in pastoral ministry... I, if I tell you how long, would you believe I've been in pastoral ministry for 38 years? I, I don't feel like I'm 38, let alone, we have some accompaniment. 38 years in ministry. During that time, I, I have worked with many, many couples as they have worked through difficulties and challenges. And something that I have noticed is that almost always when there are problems within relationships, whether it's a marriage relationship, relationship between siblings, a relationship between parents and children, a relationship at work, wherever there is a problem, there seems to be a breakdown in communication. Communication is not healthy. Communication is not what it ought to be. Relationships for them to be strong, require communication. In, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, we, we discover a, just an, an amazing truth, an amazing thing. God is planning to rain down fire and judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, he's on his way to do it. He's, he and a couple of his angels are marching. They're on their way going to Sodom. They're going to Gomorrah. And they're going to destroy those cities. And on the way, God says, Ah, can I do this and hide it from Abraham? No, I can't. I've got to tell my friend what I'm about to do. And God does. He goes and he meets Abraham and talks to him and tells him about what he's going to do. And then Abraham begins to intercede on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, God, surely, surely in those two cities, you wouldn't destroy everybody if there's 50 people. And he goes all the way down to 10 and he stops. He should have went to five. 
But God and Abraham engage in conversation about what's going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. Their relationship was strong. And communication was so evident. Prayer, says Colossians 1 and 9, will produce a knowledge of God in our hearts and in our lives. You see, that's all prayer is. Prayer is just communication. It's all it is. Prayer is simply talking to God and letting God speak to you. Prayer involves two components. It involves our speaking and it involves our hearing. Now, a good rule of thumb is that we have one mouth and two ears. So maybe we should spend twice as much time listening as we do talking. I'm still working on that one. I'm working on that one in more than one relationship in my life. And I will not go any further with that. But you see, when we are engaged in prayer, we, we can do a number of things. There's a number of aspects of that communication that we have with God. But if we really want to show that we love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, then let's talk to him. One of the ways that we can talk to him is found in Luke chapter 17 and verse number 15 when Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray. He says, pray like this, hallowed be your name. It's an expression of praise. And we all know what praise is. Praise is simply expressing and 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 sharing your understanding of the nature and the character of God. Praise is worship. Praise is not thanksgiving. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But praise is, is when you acknowledge the character of God. Father, you are righteous. You are holy. You are faithful. And, and as you talk to God about his characteristics, that understanding pours into your heart as well. And you remind yourself of who God really is. And as we remind ourselves, our knowledge of him increases, our understanding of him increases, our appreciation for him will increase. Imagine. Well, let me ask you, if, how much would you appreciate a friend that you could trust absolutely? You would appreciate them a great deal, wouldn't you? I, I pray that you all have many friends like that. Why? Why? What do we appreciate? We appreciate the fact that we can always trust them. We never have to wonder. Our Father in heaven is absolutely faithful. He is trustworthy. He is loving. He is just. And so many things. His name is to be praised. Psalm 92 verses 1 and 2 talks about thanksgiving and Throughout the scriptures, the, the subject of thanksgiving is discussed, and we, we ought to spend time thanking God 
We have lots of reasons to thank him for. My expectation is, is that almost everyone here this morning is a child of God. Your sins have been forgiven. We sang about it earlier that, you know, by his stripes we are healed. The Father in heaven loved us so much that he sent his son to take upon himself our guilt and our shame and to pay the price, to pay the penalty for our sin and our iniquity so that we could be forgiven. My, my expectation is, is that almost, if not everyone here this morning, is forgiven. Folks, could you ever be too thankful for that? Could you ever run out of thankfulness for the fact that your Father in heaven has forgiven all of your sin, has written your name in the book of life, has prepared a room for you in his house, has promised that when this life ends, you will step out of this body, old, frail, sometimes decrepit, aching, struggling body, and you will step into his immediate presence there to share with him the glory of his kingdom forever and ever, there to be made a co-regent with Christ Jesus forgiven so that we can have a place in his kingdom. Could you ever run out of thankfulness for that one thing alone? But God doesn't stop there. We all could testify of times and ways that God has helped us. It wasn't an audible voice. But it was so close to an audible voice that, that it almost sounded like one that gave me direction that saved my life. I won't tell you the whole story, but what I will tell you is this. I was on an emergency run driving the ambulance. I was driving 100 miles an hour. Coming up a hill. And God said, slow down. And so I slowed down. And as I crested the top of the hill, that same voice in my heart said, stop. Now you don't stop when you're on an emergency run clocking 100 miles an hour. But I did. And I avoided a head-on collision by seconds. I will never stop thanking God for those moments. And thanking God that for once in my life, I listened. 
And we all could tell stories of how God has stepped in and intervened and rescued us and, and kept us from something. And, and folks, the truth of the matter is, is there are probably thousands of times that God has intervened in your life and in mine that we know absolutely nothing about. So we have lots to say thank you for. Yielding to his will. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, the Lord's Prayer again. Your will be done in earth. Now, it's easy to pray, your will be done in earth, because that's everybody else. But what we always need to remember is, is that we're part of the earth. We're here. We're, we're part of the world. And so when we pray, Lord, your will be done on earth, we're saying, yeah, it's got to be done in me too, because I'm part of that whole picture. And so, Lord, your will be done in my life. And inviting the power and presence of God to work in our life to bring about his plan and his purposes and his will in us and in the world around us. Prayer. Talking to God. And then taking some time to listen. You see, Abraham would have never known that he should intervene or ask God to consider possibly not doing what he was planning to do at Sodom and Gomorrah if he hadn't been listening. And we need to listen to the Lord. He will speak to us through his word. That's why it's important that we know his word, that we read it, that we, that we memorize it, that we, that we bury it deep in our being so that God can use his word to speak to us, to reveal himself to us, to manifest his purposes and his mind to us. But God does speak to us even beyond his word into areas that are personal to us he he will help us to understand circumstances he will help us to know which decisions to make he will lead us and direct us and guide us in so many different ways if we will but listen to him so if you want to love god keep this handy when you're getting ready to make a decision at work, Father in heaven, just give me wisdom. Speak to me. Carry it with you. Oh, I, I don't mean go out and buy a prayer shawl and you know, put it over. But, but, but carry, carry that prayer closet with you everywhere. Know that, that there's never a moment there's never a time when, when you can't just simply say, and, you, and folks, trust me, you don't have to close your eyes when you pray. And please, if you're driving, keep them open. Because I might be coming down the road in the other direction, okay? So, you know, it doesn't have to be quiet around you. It, 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 all it is is from your heart, just Father... Just, I just want you to, to help me in this moment. Grant me what I need to know. Or, you know, just be in that place where the Lord works. So love God. And love in action 
is prayer because prayer is communication and communication builds your relationship. So what about my neighbor? Well, who is my neighbor? The primary point of the story of the Good Samaritan is, is that our neighbor is the one who is in need. Well, there's lots of them. But a secondary point in that parable is that a loving response to the need of my neighbor is to do what I can to alleviate that need. And that applies in a whole host of ways, but I want to apply it in one particular way this morning, and I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 9, and I'm going to get you to stand with me again as we read the Word of God. Matthew chapter 9, just reading a couple of verses, beginning to read at verse number 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You may be seated. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying is there's a lot of people who are outside of the kingdom of God. A lot of people who don't know the joy of sins forgiven. A lot of people that are not destined for heaven. A lot of people, should their life end this moment, would spend forever in hell. Now, I know that's not a popular subject, and preachers all over the world are trying to escape talking about hell, but I want you to know hell is real. And it is not a place you would want to go, nor would you want anyone else to go there. You wouldn't want your worst enemy to spend not even a, a twinkling of an eye in hell. It is a real place. And sad to say, there are many who will find themselves there. And Jesus says to his disciples, many of those who are lost are ripe for the gospel. But they need someone to take it to them. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is there is a limitation on laborers. So if you love your neighbor, your greatest neighbor, perhaps your most significant neighbor, is that person that you know that is not saved. That individual that has not received Christ as Savior. Folks, there are lots of needs around us. But there is no need greater than to be rescued from hell. No, no individual has a greater need than the need to come to Christ as Savior. We can go to heaven with a broken leg, but you can't go to heaven with sins unforgiven. The greatest need of any individual is their spiritual need. 
And so your neighbor is that person who does not know Christ. And to love them, we must pray for them. Number one, Jesus says, pray that their hearts will be opened. I, I, I really think, and I can't prove this, and I'm not going to try to prove it, but, but I think that no person comes to Christ as Savior except somebody has prayed for them. I, I really think that. My grandmother prayed for me for as long as she lived. I came to Christ as a little boy. I wasn't yet five years old. In Sunday school, a Sunday school teacher asked me one Sunday, did I want to walk with Jesus? Did I want to receive him into my heart? And I, I said, yes. I didn't fully understand all that was going on. I just, I just knew that I needed Jesus. Because you see, my grandmother had been praying for me. She'd been talking to me about Jesus. My Sunday school teacher had been talking to me about Jesus. My parents weren't serving the Lord. And I said yes, and so I prayed a prayer. And throughout my life, I have gone back to that moment, and I've said, Lord, I thank you that at that early age, I made a decision. I didn't fully understand it. But I kept coming to that place, even through my early childhood and all of my life. I have walked with Jesus, not perfectly. I could tell you some stories around that too. But because my grandmother and my Sunday school teachers prayed for me, I came to faith. And almost everybody that I have talked to has been able to say that there's somebody in their life that prayed for them. A co-worker, a mother. How many of you had a praying mother? I, after my, my mom and dad got saved when I was 12 years old, I, they blew my world apart. I tried to do something bad one night and I came home and my mother was praying for me. I, and she knew what, nah, she knew what was going on. Thank God for praying mothers. Thank God for praying fathers. How many of you had a father that prayed for you? My dad, my, my, my dad had one of the worst tempers you could ever imagine. He made a guy's nose bleed without actually hitting him in the nose. <laughs> he left knuckle prints in a hardwood door. But when my dad gave his heart to the Lord, his life was transformed. And a man who knew how to deal things with his deal with things with his fist began to deal with things on his knees. His heart was changed, and my dad prayed for me. Prayed for me up until he passed away. And his prayers are still having an effect in my life. Pray that their hearts will be opened, whether they're a co-worker a family member, a friend, a neighbor, whoever they might be. 
If they don't know Jesus, pray for them. Bring their name before the throne of God and say, Father in heaven, open their heart to the gospel that they would have a receptive heart when they hear of the love of Jesus and the gospel of Christ that they might respond to him. Pray for laborers. There can never be too many people working in God's harvest field. Pray that God will raise up believers. Pray, God, use believers as witnesses. God, raise up evangelists. God, raise up men and women who will have the gift of evangelism, that have that capacity to be able to share the gospel in an amazing way. I'm not an evangelist. I, I share the gospel, but, but I, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I have some friends who do. Man, I'll tell you, they can walk into the craziest places and preach the gospel and have results. There's, there's a gifting on their life. Pray that God will raise up an army of evangelists in Malawi. We got enough prophets. In fact, I think we got too many. We don't need more apostles. But God help us, we need evangelists. We need men and women who have the spirit of Christ upon them that can walk into situations and circumstances and places, high places, low places, medium places, large places, places with lots of people, places with few people, homes, cathedrals, Stadiums, I don't care where. They can walk into those places and they can preach the gospel with power and see the hand of God at work and see the multitudes come in repentance to Jesus Christ. God, raise up evangelists in Malawi. We need to pray for that. If we really love those who are lost, even the ones that we don't know their name, if we pray for evangelists. Pray that God will cause believers to be brave and daring to share their witness. Our greatest witness is our lifestyle. That God will work in the lives of his people, that we will live before men in righteousness, so that our lives will shine as a light to the lost, that they will see how we conduct our lives and give glory to our Father in heaven, and they will look at our lives, and they will come to know the power of Christ through observation. How many of you have had somebody come up to you at some time and say, I've been watching you for a while? And there's something different about you. You're not like most of the people I know. I, I, I've, been, I've been watching you. There's something different about you. What, what is it that makes the difference? That's a wonderful opportunity to say, Jesus makes the difference. What makes the difference in my life is that I love Jesus, and he's in my life. He's my Savior. I walk with Jesus, and he walks with me. And that changes my attitude. It changes the way I think. It changes the way I treat others. It changes the way I work. It changes every part of my life. 
I am different not because there's something about me. I am different because of the one I serve. And I am forgiven. And guess what? You can know him too. And you can have that difference in your life. Usually, what will cause people to really pay attention is how you handle difficulty. And that you handle difficulty differently than they do. That you can walk in joy in the midst of trouble. Jesus can allow us and enable us to live a life that witnesses for him. Now, sometimes words are needed. Let me give you a list of scriptures in the book of Romans that whenever you have an opportunity to share the gospel, these verses will help you to do that. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23. Some of you probably can quote it. That's a good place to start. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. I'm not going to read the verses to you, but I'll give you the, the, the citations, and you can go home and read them, write them down on the back of your bulletin. There's room there. And, and take these verses, memorize them. Take a, take a little New Testament with you in, in your pocket or in your purse and have it ready so that you can share these scriptures. And here's a, here's a, here's a little trick that I use. I have my Bible. I know that Romans 3.23 is the first verse I go to. So you know what I do on the edge of the page? I write the next verse. Just in case my memory is not working as good as it used. Something happens with white hair. I, I think the roots get into the memory banks and they mess it up sometimes. I don't know. The next verse is Romans chapter 3 verse number 10. Romans chapter 3 verse number 10. The next verse is Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. Chapter 5, verse 12. And then Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Chapter 6, verse 23. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. Chapter 5, verse number 8. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10. Romans 10, 9 to 10. And Romans chapter 10, verse number 13. Chapter 10, verse number 13. All in one book, all in the book of Romans. And those verses will enable you to share the truth of the gospel with any person and explain to them how they can come to know Christ as Savior, how their sins can be forgiven, and an assurance that when they pray and ask the Lord to cleanse them and to forgive them, that he will do so because of what Christ has done on the cross. So pray. Pray for laborers. Pray that God will raise up evangelists. Pray that God will work in the hearts and the lives of his people, that they will be witnesses in their lifestyle, witnesses in their words. And when we pray that, we must also pray, God, use me. Now, I don't mind praying for God to raise up evangelists. And I don't mind praying for God to use you. Sometimes I struggle with the God use me part. Is there any company? When you pray for laborers to come into the harvest field, you need to know 
that God's response is going to be, bless the Lord one more. Because you can't pray for laborers to come into the harvest field without getting a burden for the harvest. And when you get a burden for the harvest, you're going to pick up your sickle and start to go into the harvest field and bring in the sheaves of wheat that you can reach. None of us can reach everybody. But together, we can reach the world. Jesus started with 12 people that he trained. In the upper room, there were 120. Can you imagine starting a worldwide revolution with 120 people? That's what Jesus did. He started a worldwide revolution with 120 people. And today on planet Earth, according to Anderson, who is a statistician and has done lots of surveys, there are over 1 billion Pentecostal believers. Now, Pentecostal in experience, not necessarily Pentecostal in denomination. 1 billion followers of Jesus on planet Earth. You thought you were part of a pretty small group, huh? One billion followers of Jesus. What in the world would happen if they all got on fire and started sharing the gospel? How long would it take before we were two billion? So let's pray. Will you pray? Will you join me? I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come. Our neighbor is the lost. They need Jesus. They need Jesus more than they need anything else in the world. They need Jesus more than they need another car. They need Jesus more than they need a tin roof. They need Jesus more than they need to come out of the village and live in the city. They need Jesus. Because Jesus opens up the door for eternity in his presence. It's only through Christ that we can be saved. Will you pray? Will you commit this morning that you're going to pray for your co-workers, for your family, for your friends that don't know Jesus? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I'm not going to ask for any sign of commitment. I want this to be just between you and the Lord. Love God. Love your neighbor. And prayer is an amazingly powerful way to put love in action. And so will you spend time with Father? Will you spend time with Him in prayer and listening to Him? Will you pray for your neighbor? 
for those co-workers, those friends, those family members that don't know Jesus, will you bring their name before the Lord and say, God, open their heart and bring somebody into their life that will share the gospel with them. And Lord, maybe sometimes use me. Let your heart be open to the leading of the Lord. Let your heart be responsive to his voice. And sometimes he will reach your co-workers and friends and family through somebody else. But because you've prayed for them. Sometimes he may just put the right word in your mouth at the right time. He might put you in the right place at the right time. And you have the wonderful privilege of leading them to Jesus. As we bow in his presence, will you take these next few moments and will you just commit yourself, say, Lord, I am going to pray and commune with you and I will pray for my neighbor. Will you make that determination? Maybe write it in your bulletin or write it on your hand or write it in your Bible on the top of one of the pages. Today, April 17, 2016, I determined I will pray at least five minutes twice a day. I will pray for the people in my life that don't know Jesus. Love in action. Write it down somewhere where you'll see it occasionally to remind you of a commitment. Will you commit with me to do that? Father, we're bowed in your presence. And we know that the greatest commandments is to love you and to love our neighbor. We believe that prayer is putting that love into action. And so, Lord, I pray you would help each one of us to increase the prayer in our life, to carry our prayer closet with us so that we can step into it at any moment, at any time. Lord, that you will use us in the harvest field through prayer so that hearts will be opened. Evangelists will arise in the, in the land and that witnesses will abound in our city and in our nation that the kingdom of God might expand and grow to the honor and glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and ask it. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this week's City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week. We hope that this message has inspired and encouraged you to live a life that brings glory to God through your love and action towards Jesus Christ and others. Thank you again for joining us and we'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that in addition to providing biblical teaching, CPC offers free counseling to anyone who needs advice, 
spiritual healing and guidance as you walk through the challenges of life. Also, do you have a hurt, hang-up, or habit? Every Sunday from 2 p.m. at CPC, we offer at no charge a Christ-centered 12-step program for those who are ready to embark on a journey of real and lasting change. Please contact the church office for more details or visit our website, citypentecostal.church. My burdens, I'll rise with you. I'm dancing on this mountain top to see your kingdom come. Are you ready to join? You lift my burdens, sing it. I'll rise with you. I'm dancing on this mountain top. To see your kingdom come My Redeemer My Redeemer Sing it. His blood I covered my sins. I believe. I believe. My shame, my shame is taken away. My pain is hidden. I believe. Like this, Pulumotsi Wamoyo, Pulumotsi Wamoyo, Pulumotsi Wamoyo, Pulumotsi Wamoyo, Pulumotsi Just give him a big round of applause this morning as we celebrate the resurrected King. You live, Jesus. Mm, my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer. 